0: Coming out of my cage and I've been doing just fine God I gotta be down because I want it all I started out with a kiss it Hello and welcome along to G'day GA, Brought to you in association with O'Neill's International Sportswear The choice of champions Please visit O'Neill's.com for all the latest offers Well everyone it's just myself Liam Lenhan here today We hope you enjoyed our last episode live from the Spotless Stadium in Sydney where we covered a Wild Geese Trophy game between Kilkenny and Galway. We had Killian Buckley on, John Hanbury, James Skehill, and also Aaron Cunningham. Um, On today's show I'm delighted to say that we have a brilliant interview with Brian Cody, manager of the Kilkenny senior hurling team, who's currently still in Australia. made some time for me to go along and have a bit of a chat with him about all things hurling related and how he sees things Unfolding next year, how the club has been impacted by the new uh, format of the championship, and also how he's dealt and with and I suppose adapted to the changing nature of the game over the last twenty years. So let's have a listen to Brian Cody.
1: I met a strange lady. She made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast. And she said, "Do you come from a land down under? But and meet my can't you hear? Can't you hear the thunder?
0: You better run! You better take cover! I'm delighted to be joined here by Brian Cody the Kilkenny manager who's currently out here in Australia with the Kilkenny senior hurling team. Thanks for making the time to come and have a chat with me, Brian. No problem at
1: all, Very welcome.
0: Brian, obviously you've just come off the back of uh, a game up against Galway up in Sydney in the Wild Geese Trophy. Um, the game has come in for a bit of flack back at home, but from what I saw, it was far from an exhibition game and a very competitive game that was taken seriously by both sides.
1: There's no doubt about that, yeah. I mean, the game was, was a real genuine game of hurling. Both teams wanted to win it, and that was shown. you know, the way... We got a tidy lead in the first half. We put everything into it and Galway came back really strongly and, you know, it was just fought out to the bitter end there and then finished up then, obviously, to a draw and it went to then the, the free-taking competition, which kind of is a bit of an anti-climax, I suppose. And I believe there has been a bit of um, controversy about it at home and I can understand that as well, you know. I mean, it's particularly, I think there controversy from the people who are saying you know the importance of spending money on the game at home which is a very very valid point as well there's no doubt about that
0: Yeah, I I think it is a valid point but I think you would have seen yourself Brian all the expats who are at the game there was 12,000 people there it was 25,000 Seat at the stadium but it might have seemed a bit empty but 12,000 was still a great attendance I know you met a number of the Melbourne kids on the Saturday here up and you did some of the coaching with them how much it meant to the Irish here in Australia to have a fully fledged 15 a side hurling game with two top teams and how well you are received out here
1: I uh, look I mean from the pole point of view of that and what it means to the you know the expats over here to the aspirate. it just means a huge amount to them and we had so many of them and clubs players and clubs coming from Melbourne to, to Sydney and coming from all over the place and just see the pride in to have, to having the game of hurling and you know and talking to them and seeing what hurling means to them and uh, hurling getty football ladies football camogie all the clubs you know putting so much into it and you know, the way they're participating, they're getting a game a week, maybe for six months of the year, and training, and I've met so many of them who said maybe they came over say for a couple of months or to sample the place or a year or whatever, and guaranteed they were going home very, very soon. And the reality is once they get involved in the club out here, and the whole sense of GA, what it means to them, to, to find it impossible to leave while they're still involved. And I've met people who are here for five years, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, and just pillars of the whole community, the whole club. And... Certainly, it's something that only if you're over here, you'll realise the importance of it.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's something that's not getting relayed back at home, and understandably so. Mm. But I think it's a point worth noting, and obviously with the Fenway Classic coming up in Boston this weekend as well, it, it's similar. It's going to be similar kind of criticism, but again, they'll have a huge turnout in Boston. And I think it's very important for the expats, especially America being a big stronghold for Irish, that there is opportunities for them to see the games.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. I mean, I'm here talking to you, Liam. You're from Kilkenny. You know, you played Hurling before you came out here. You're out here for a few years. You're Hurling out here, involved in the club. And seriously involved in the club. You're running your GAA podcast here as well. And, you know, it's, it's the same as being at home with your own club, Big Sport or whatever it is. And the passion is there. And... You know the GEA means so much to the people out here and obviously the people in america as well and there's pockets of GEA in so many places you know ireland is doing well now was from a whole point of view of employment there's near enough to kind of full employment over there now but a number of years ago it was anything but and people were forced to leave and had to come to places like australia america england wherever it was and the ga s- kicked in straight away and the ga is the reason that the people could settle here could have a real life here could f- Banish loneliness, get rid of homesickness, and be real participants and have a real family away from home. And you know, that can't be forgotten either. It's, 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 you'd have to be out here to realise that. I mean, before I came out here, I could easily pontificate about it as well. And I'm not blaming the people who were talking about it back home, but the GA, it matters out here very, very much.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, and I can definitely echo all those sentiments. Mm. Um, and having a young boy myself now, he was up there on Sunday and got to see Kilkenny play in mm. Sydney. Mm. It was his second Kilkenny match. He was at the in 2016. wasn't wasn't the best day for him, but uh, <laughs> like to say that he saw a game in, in in Sydney is an amazing thing. You know, being an Irish expat in Australia, but obviously Brian as well. That game did have a couple of special things going on with it. You did have Hugh Lawler make. His debut for Kilkenny in Australia, no less, which is a, an amazing thing um, in its own right. But he probably went on to have a great performance in that fullback position, which I'm sure he would have gained some learnings from that.
1: You know, Hugh has been in our panel there for the past year or so. He's been always a very promising player at minor and 21 level with his club, ball, Lachlan Gills. Great fellow, very very genuine chap. You know, big fellow as well. You know, and he's really really developed um, physically as well in the past year fine hurler and like I said most unusually obviously um, made his debut in Sydney for, for Kilkenny seniors and he made a promising debut but I mean he's very much in our thoughts as are many so many of the other lads and he'll be given a fair opportunity when we go back and it would be just you know he's comfortable in any of the back positions to be honest about it and it'll be interesting to see how he goes yeah and I suppose it's an interesting time for
0: Kilkenny now I suppose it's particularly last year and this year and for me looking on from the outside it was, it was a very exciting time as a Kilkenny supporter because we've had a lot of new players come through and some players who I've obviously been away, I haven't seen. Some come up through the club ranks. Has that do you think re-energised even yourself to have like nearly a whole new batch of players come through? Obviously, if you had the likes of Killian Bucky now and Park Welcher, are nearly some of the more seasoned members of the panel, and TJ and Colin Finley. Mm. But having the likes of Bill Sheen come through, um, Richie Latty break through again last year, does that re-energise the whole setup again?
1: Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I suppose um, <clears throat> the general expectation. I suppose even in Kilkenny, was for the past 12 months, even longer I suppose that there was a kind of an end of an era there if you like, you know, that there was an awful lot of players who had you know, been very familiar to so many people had gone on into retirement and everything else and it was going to be a very, very challenging time for Kilkenny to stay kind of in a, in a competitive um, position with regard to league and championship and such like and I would always have a huge kind of um, belief in the players coming through and that and you've mentioned some of them there and some of them have been blooded during the past year um, we won the league, which was a big surprise, considering we lost the first two games in the league and we were probably being tipped for certainly relegation candidates. We came through, we won it, beat a very, very good Super A team in the final. Um, you know, lost, lost the Leinster final to Galway after a replay, beaten by Limerick by a couple of points, who went on to win the All-Ireland final. What it means is that we were competitive, um, but it changes nothing. It doesn't make it any simpler for the coming year. It's going to be very, very difficult, very, very competitive. The reality, I suppose, in most sports, any kind of top sports, is there's always, you could say, two or three teams who are really genuine competi- contenders to win it, be that Premiership or World Cup Rugby or whatever it is. The reality, I think, for hurling now in the coming years, there's six or seven teams who will be genuinely giving themselves a real chance of eventually win- win- winning out in the, in the other. And we hope we're one of those, but that's how competitive it is.
0: Yeah, and I, I think on that point as well, we probably have seen... There's other elements. To this the arguably the, the the best hurling championship in my living memory last year in terms of the standard of the games we have. I know the round robin system had its flaws in, in for Leinster and Munster, and with the week after week and how tough that was for players and recovery and impact it had on the clubs mm. um, set up. But in terms of the entertainment value that I provided to spectators and supporters and to neutrals and supporters alike, I don't think we've had a year like it.
1: Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean, when you see top, top games on kind of on a regular basis, like, and it was different as well, it wasn't what people were used to. So, it's certainly exciting and everything else. You did say there were flaws in it, and there are, you know, it is, it's, it's punishing on the county players from the point of view of playing week on week because essentially you'll always pick up knocks and bits of injuries and that. And it's always about recovery and trying to get fellas back on the field. And fellas are inclined to kind of um. Cover up injuries because they don't want to hand the jersey over to somebody else in case they mightn't get it back. So they'll play through it. And the biggest flaw of all is it has a huge impact on club. You know the club players are not getting the competitive action they need right through the summer months. And Brian, obviously, because it's been so successful,
0: I think we're probably going to see it's up, it's happening again next year. That's locked in, um, and we know it, April is in inverted is the club month. But realistically, going forward, I don't. It's probably not sustainable for the club or the county to go. Down that, down that road No I
1: don't, I don't think it's sustainable Liam to be honest you know I mean obviously they brought it, in. it was brought in really as a kind of um, a sort of a reaction to the super eights in football you know because suddenly they were saying what about hurling it's going to be all these the months of August whatever the month of August is going to be handed over to football really but at the end of the day hurling hurling doesn't have anything to fear from any, any other sport really and I know and what you said is it has been a brilliant championship but I think all the championships are great, yeah. every year, you know, there's, mm. there's, there's, those do-or-die matches are brilliant. But certainly the reaction from clubs is very, very hostile, really. And you must remember, I suppose, really that, what are we talking about? 5% of the Hurling population play inter-county Hurling, if you like. And I suppose the right kind of think about it is if you're living in a town where 5% of the, of the population were entitled to go to work every day, and 95% weren't, we didn't have anything to do it's not a level playing pitch because if Hurling, the, the lifeblood of the GA is the club, as you see yourself out here. The lifeblood is the club, it's the same back home. And all the players, you become an inter-county player because of how you play with your club and that's your right of passage if you like. But I mean, as soon as you lose contact with your club, you're losing a part of yourself and you, it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't improve you as a player because you end up going back to your club as well. And I think, I think there really has to be sort of a, look, a serious look taken at it and almost go with a blank canvas and say right let's plan the year between club and county and have a regular supply of games for both i think it's possible to do it but there has to be a meeting of minds between everybody to, to achieve that yeah and i think we're talking
0: to um james kettle actually and john hanbury up in sydney about it as well and their point was the january competitions especially it was ones like they didn't want to play in them like like in terms of enjoyment levels hurling in january on frozen pitches and in snow. And then that you're literally on from January to potentially September and mm. you're seeing little or no action with your club yeah. and the impact it has on the club. So starting with, just say we were to start with a blank canvas and we were to plan, let's be fair to club mm. and fair to county. Mm. Do you think though it could end up that you might end up with a, a back-to-back, week-to-week situation for the inter-county to then still facilitate the club has the other half of the year? Or, but, or do you go back to what we had before?
1: Well, the dangers of that... Happening at the moment are there, but like you said, if you were to look at the competitions that are there, look at the whole, it might mean. I suppose <coughs> what we're doing is standing still with regard to the competitions that are being there. You play Welsh Cup, you play a League, you play a Championship. How about looking at the whole thing? League with, with a blank cannabis from everything, club, county. Do we need all those competitions? Certainly, we don't need those early early season competitions like you were saying, or Welsh Cup or whatever. Look at the League. You play. You, you play a League essentially now, and every match is so crucial to try and. You lose a couple in relegation. It's a championship where you play five other teams. You turn around and you play the same teams again, pretty much in a championship all over again. So there is there is something worth looking at there. I think you know. Yeah. Um, I don't have the solution to it. I don't have all the answers to it. But I do believe it has to be looked at. I mean, the reason I don't have is because I think it's my my responsibility to whatever is put in front of us we have to make like any competitive in that so I'm although I am agitating for more more games for the club it has to happen Yeah. so whatever it comes up there's enough bright people in the association in club and county to come up with what's best for everybody but what's there right now is not best for everybody no and I think
0: ultimately because of the success of last year as a inverted as marketing ploy even for hurling and mm-hmm. it, it's going to be very hard for them to go away from at the top brass I think because of how successful it was and ultimately, though, your point about the club is right, because I know from talking to former teammates in Nixborough, basically had nothing on all year. Like, they did they did a pre-season in February. They played one game, mm-hmm. I think maybe around the April time, That's and right. didn't play again until August. Yeah, yeah Like, and you're basically now doing two pre-seasons as a club. I'm sure it was similar with James Stevens. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's just not
1: fair. It's not sustainable. It's not fair. Just, there's no doubt about that. And it just it can't continue to be. But at the same time, you know, audiences in, at home like attendance at games were down as well Yeah, you know I remember uh for the Clare at 5,000 match just a very very small crowd there yeah. and that doesn't make sense you know Yeah. so as well as that asking players to play Sunday on Sunday is not the correct way to do it also, asking people to go and support them on Sunday they won't be able to sustain it either yeah. from the expensive point of view of it you yeah. know so there's a lot of things we looked at um, and it's not just about you know maybe television loves it um, Pundits love it. It's keeping them going. It's mm. giving them something to do week on week. I want. I
0: loved it over here watching and game week I can week understand that. I yeah. can
1: understand that absolutely. I can yeah. understand that. But if you were back playing with for you wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah, yeah, you
0: yeah, know? yeah. And it's interesting too because I was actually talking to Killian to Killian Buckley as well on Sunday. and Obviously, he had a kind of frustrating year with that the injury that he's kind of had a bit of a niggling at the moment. And he said why he wouldn't have given for four weeks off. Like normally, would have had to have a break to recover because it was week on week. Yeah. He didn't get that chance get that chance to recover. So it is probably to players' detriment, especially mm-hmm. when we are players are amateurs. Like yep. they're 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 not be able to take a week off to recover from a match. They're well, back into work on a Monday or a Tuesday, especially mm-hmm. when it's four weeks in a row. Yeah. So do you think is is the nature of it as well pushing it towards some sort of kind of semi-professionalism slash profession, like without even being conscious about that? But the very nature of it means that the guys are going to have to be in certain types of jobs to be able to play at that level
1: look that's a worry I would have you know by, by it's creating an elitism about county hurlers the fact that they're playing regularly in the summer months whereas the fellas are sitting at home at the club they're not even the pitch. The pitches are empty so who are the hurlers in this place the guys who play for the intercounty teams and that's a dangerous dangerous precinct to be setting because the inevitability of all that if that were to continue is they see themselves as inter-county players the club oh well, yeah i should play with them whenever i feel like it or sometime and that creates dangerous kind of possibilities for the association because semi-professionalism professionalism and GA can never go together as far as i'm concerned it just can't happen yeah. and you know people will argue about that it is there in some places with some people with with maybe some managers whatever it is I can tell you certainly not here with me, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it's goes against everything the GA stands for, and, and I was very very happy to hear, you know, some of the players. I was at a kind of a, a a bit of a, a thing there with Pari Mayon and Joel Canning there before to kind of preview the game and that, and you know they were saying very very clearly as well, like you know just it can call professionalism, it can call professionalism. And they're very, very careful. I mean, I think in a the minor the inter-county minor setup this year, Kilkenny played eleven games at under seventeen level. He had sixteen and seventeen-year-olds playing. He had eleven games. The last three games, they had played in the All Ireland final. Yeah. They had two round robins, Leinster, and then Galway come into the equation. So they had two round robins. But during that time, they never played at their club. So if you're getting lads growing up at sixteen and seventeen with a greater attachment to their county team than to their club, where are you going? It's mm. dangerous. Yeah. You know.
0: And I suppose. It- the way, though, that the teams are prepared now, you look at Galway and Kilkenny on Sunday, peak physical condition. Even rewind their brain, probably even five years, the strength and condition yeah. wasn't at the level that it was. Yeah. And now, if you're not at that level, you're going to be left behind. Yeah. But to get to that level, essentially, you are nearly training as a, not as a, per, a professional, you're, you're working, you're nine to five, but you're probably six, seven days of the week, some component of that day is focused on your life as an inter-county player. And it's... It's a. I think it's becoming increasing. The big thing here in the AFL at the moment is the mental health and welfare of players and the demands put on them mentally. It's only kind of coming out now that side of things. I think the the GA intercounty players are more susceptible to mental health issues or or anxiety or anything like that when all these demands aside from their family life, professional life, and intercounty life.
1: Yeah, no. As long as I out in Sydney um, about all that kind of thing, he's now assistant coach out there. And he was saying a huge amount of his time is, is spent in, that, in, in those areas, you know. And he spoke about, you know, looking at the GA players now, they're just, they're, they're bodies, they're, they're, they're finely tuned professional athletes, if you like. And I just think, and I said it, I've spoken to the President of the Association, our own um, physical strength and conditioning um, man, Michael Dempsey. I think it's, it's, we need to pare it back a small bit. I think it's, it's, it's getting the saturation levels with regard to the whole area of preparation and the amount of time players are putting into it. There was a new ESRI report came out there back home a couple of months ago about the amount of time players are putting into it. And the reality is this is being done outside of their recommended stuff from, from our salads, from our strength and conditioning guy and from the managers and such like. The, the desire to make it at inner county level, they're putting pressure on themselves to do a bit of extra stuff when actually there'd be much to be better advised not to be doing it, mm. and it's a mistake they're making because they think that I, the more I do, the fitter I'll become, whereas in actual fact. They need to take things pull back a small bit, mm. and just be guided by the person who knows best what's good for them, yeah. and factor in the imp- most important thing of all of rest, recovery, and stay away from things for a bit. Yeah. Because everybody's body is not the same either, and everybody doesn't need the same thing. And I would be concerned that so many players are erring on the side of doing too much rather than mm. just realizing this game is still a game of skill. You don't have to be, you know, an absolute ball of muscle to do everything right from the hurling pitch either No. get your head right get your head tuned stay comfortable with yourself make sure you're feeling good you're happy in your job you're happy in your studies you're not under pressure and that's the biggest possibly the biggest responsibility now on ourselves as managers to ensure that that aspect of players' lives are cared for
0: and how do you how do you try and strike that balance Brian without obviously they're not with you every day of the week it's not like you're uh you're in the premiership where you see the players every morning, you're checking in with them. You might have a couple of contact points with them in a week, but like you said, they're doing stuff on their own or they're working and they're in Dublin or they're studying. Mm. How do you try and ensure on yourself and McDempsey with the strength and condition that that balance is being struck? How do you try and find that balance? I
1: think the importance of... um their, their body language how they appear their mood everything else you see them you come in you can see a fella you, you know the players fairly well you know the guys who are in college you know the guys who are in, in kind of um, pressurised work situations or whatever different times of the year and I would always be hugely conscious of the third level of students exam time come to exam time you know and that's another area where things need to be looked at you see I mean please yeah, is given to the club at the moment. Inter county round robbing season kicks in in May. What's May for guys who are in third level college? It's exam time. You know, and it's a hugely stressful time. And the importance of always check in with the lads, come here, are you under pressure? How are the studies, the exams coming up? Look after it, you know, look after it. And I mean, that's never spoken about or people don't even believe that that's, that's what we do. But that's what we do. And I think it's, we're duty bound to do that and to be conscious of lads' pressures away from the hurling pitch. Because I believe if they're stress free, they'll play a lot better
0: mm, yeah and I think it's it's a valid point especially it's a real Irish thing that big focus on the Leaving Cert and that exam mm. everyone talks about the Leaving Cert and mm. how they get on it's covered in the papers mm. once you go on to university no one asks the question about how you got on your university exams or True. how preparation. preparation. it's just kind of taken that you're just going to get through them exactly you repeat it if you like whatever yeah. repeat
1: the year whatever it is but yeah. who wants that like you no know? exactly you know I mean different lads are doing different courses different lads are doing different things some lads maybe are doing a course where you have a few hours very few hours during the week other fellas of course as some of our players of course is where there's you know, big hours all week time taken up they don't even have time to even consider playing Fitzgibbon or whatever it is you know mm-hmm. and that's that needs to be all factored into yeah. their overall yeah. sense of how they are
0: so Wickley you Kenny know, obviously you're going into your into your 21st year this year has your approach to that type of thing given the world we now live in how you would approach a player and their demands on their lives has that changed now in terms of certain players would have different maybe training loads or expecting you know, look you can have a night off tonight you're, we know you have an exam tomorrow or we know you've had Fitzgibbon at the weekend has, that, has your approach changed to how you manage your players load or your interaction with the players
1: well, I'd say first of all, we're always learning. We're always trying to see how we can do things better. There's no doubt about that. And do we do things perfectly? Absolutely not. Because I think if you th- if you think you're doing something perfectly, you're cutting yourself. You know, because there's always a better way of doing things. Um, but I, I would say as well, it's something we're always being conscious of. Um, because I suppose I've been a teacher all my life as well but also great credit to Michael Dempsey who would be very keyed in and very clued in to lad situations he's involved with Carl OIT as well and he sees things he's involved with his students in the college and that involved in, with them in Fitzgibbon so he would always be hugely conscious of their workload and how they need to be rested as well as everything else so looking to be working with lads like that and James and Derek, Derek James Ling James McGarry Derek Ling as well um, all lads who play the game and understand the game very very well so I mean we would like to think that we're doing as well as we can but I would be very very conscious that we would always want to be very very clear that no matter how, how well we might think we're doing it there's probably a better way of doing it mm.
0: and similar to that then obviously we talk about the strength negation but the sports science side of things I know McDempsey is big into that and we've seen Kilkenny I just know by looking at the back of the jersey now the GPS uh, systems are in, are in the jerseys has that changed your analysis of a game obviously there's still a lot that's intuitive as you can you read the game mm. but in terms of tracking I don't know how many kilometres a player or what his heart rate was at has that come into analysis now for yourself
1: it's probably not something I would be um, hugely um, <coughs> sort of into like you know I haven't been I know but and I, I would be again have people there who are who understand it very very clearly and I would I would be open to all sorts of stuff but and I spoke again had a good job with Ty earlier about this as well out here um, I think we can never get away from the fact that your instinct has to come into play as well and I would I'd probably I would probably still be a kind of a fellow who would um, trust my instinct for, for situations on the field and feeling that but would always be open to um, the opinions of people who who have a, maybe a bigger understanding of certain aspects of the game than I would have
0: OK yeah
1: because it's, it's interesting seeing
0: how that's transitioning through the GEA scene in particular, and I know it's a massive thing in AFL here yeah. how everything is tracked. Every single thing is tracked. But it's coming to a point where now the players are nearly like robots because they're thinking more about, the big thing here is disposals, how many disposals they had in the game, their efficiencies, the kilometres they've covered, more the stats rather than what's the collective.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, you can't ever take away a guy's instinct for the game. I mean, it's like, you know, you're there and you have the ball and suddenly, I mean, oh, where am I supposed to kick it? You know, you're supposed to kick it where your head tells you to kick it, I think, yeah. you know, because that's why you're, why do you make it at that level? Because you're a bloody good player, you know. Mm. How did you get there? Because you were good, you had skill, you could trust your instinct. I think you should never go away from that either. Mm-hmm. There's a certain game plan. You, you, you play for the team, always. And it's, it's, and I think of the great players who went through the system, apart from the players we have now, but looking at the team we had over the number of years, I don't think they were robotic yeah. So I think they were Terrifically skillful, yeah. Instinctive players And as So many from other counties As well
0: Yeah I think it's very And that's a unique thing About hurling I think that You don't have the time To be robotic in hurling Because you have to Hurl off the cuff To a certain extent And I know there's always Tactics come into it at times mm. But I think that's The uniqueness to hurling Whereas football Gay football You are able to Probably True. be a bit more Organised as a group Whereas yeah. hurling It's largely 15 on 15 bar sweeper here or there but the, the the core setup of the teams hasn't changed
1: you know that's true you know apart from say a puck out situations where you can yeah. see it as a set play if you like other than that you take rugby you have scrums you have line outs it is. you take soccer you have possession you can hold the ball kick it back play defensive Gaelic football even now becoming very defensive if you like but you have the sweeper situation in hurling as well both at the same time you can't legislate for the fact that the ball can be hit 100 yards from one end of the field to mm-hmm. the other and that can open up a lot of possibilities. And obviously we've seen Kilkenny this year adapt a slightly different style than what we're
0: used to seeing in terms of working the ball up through the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a Kilkenny supporter, seen that, I was very excited to see that. Obviously, it was something that we wouldn't have seen during your era or any era before. Was that a conscious decision that, look, the year before, obviously, you came, came up against a couple of sweeper systems that it's very hard to play through the sweeper now, maybe with the set of players that you had, you had know, a different set of players, or was it more player-driven that, look, we're hoping to to try this this system of working it through and working it up the field
1: the reality is you know, some teams hurling has changed there's no doubt about that different managers coaches are bringing different perspectives to the game some players some teams some top teams um, and play to continue to play the kind of i suppose call it what you like 15 on 15 basic kind of game other players very very definitely play with a sweeper seven defenders and maybe a second sweeper at times and it's difficult to counteract that. So, I mean, there's all my nose putting your head in the sand and say, i oh, look at this is the way we play hold and we're not going to change. You have to adapt what's out there if you want to say competitive. And, you know, we did have to adapt different, different games, different damn opponents and that. And, you know, we talk about it, we look at it, but at the, very, at the, at the end of the day, you're dependent very much on the players being dealing with what's in front of them. you got to play, this on, play the game that's on the field, what's put in front of you, what challenges are put in front of you and that challenge can change during the game as well from, from the opposition point of view. So I think the players have um, developed a great understanding of that and have developed a, a, a real kind of ability to, to deal with whatever challenges put in front of them and sometimes that necessitates playing through the lines like mm-hmm. you said and I think we, we did that pretty well this year. And I think a, a real interesting thing for me what
0: looking at is the involvement of the goalkeeper position yeah, yeah. especially in On in and how mm-hmm. he plays mm-hmm. the role as number one where he's essentially like he start, he's literally like a quarterback now he sets yeah. up the plays from yeah. various and he's able to score like sure. he scored there on Sunday has that taken not by surprise but that how important the goalie has now become in launching like you said those set plays from a dead ball situation
1: there's no doubt about that you know I mean it's changed very very much from that score you know and you see, so much, so often now in the game where, you know, defender has the ball and he's being closed down. He turns around and the goalkeeper's going to give it to me. You know, give it to me. And he, he, apart from puckouts at all, he's taking the ball in open play, and moving out of it and, and, and delivering good ball, hopefully, and all the rest of it. So that's that's another development that has taken place in mm. the game, and it has, I suppose, really again come from the fact that different teams are trying different challenges up to mm. you.
0: And Brian, you touched on there earlier around that, obviously, you've just a group of players now, compared to you had, I suppose, a steady core from that kind of 2006 period, even up to 2014. And in 2014, we saw JJ probably retire at his, at his own decision. He went mm-hmm. out at the end as an another winner. But we saw Henry retire that year also, but probably as a year, as a substitute, more of an impact role. How did you find that situation where you're dealing with someone who has been, like your go-to, your number one key forward for a long period since you even come in, to knowing then that, look, he's not going to be on the He he's still got a part to play, but in Henry's head or Jackie Turrell's head in the following year, in 2016, that they think they should be still on it. Mm-hmm. How do you address, not address, but how do you manage that interaction with the player or that challenge as a manager?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's for me, it's, it's not difficult, to be honest about it, you know, because I, we would always champion the... the importance of the panel rather than the team and for me i suppose you know it's it's merely history repeating itself because when the lads came in as young players some other great player was career was coming to an end. Didn't want the career to come to an end. Nobody wants her career to come to an end. But the lad stepped in and somebody else lost out who had been there for a while. And life goes on. And then that's the way it goes. And that's the way it goes for everybody. Mm. And do they enjoy that? No, they don't. Do I enjoy the fact that some of the likes of Henry is not going to be on the team starting to Of course, i do love to see him playing forever. That won't happen. No. And it's some players um, find that... They find it more difficult than others, really, and, and, and it's 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 not all brilliant for them. But to me it's just I'm there to do the job to try and put the not to try to make sure that we put the best possible team on the field every single time for Kilkenny. And I would uh, the importance as well, the, the importance of realizing as well that every single player on your panel is equally important, you know. And as far as I was concerned, we never championed superstars in our dressing room. The media portrayed them as superstars, but the lads themselves didn't behave like superstars or act as superstars, even though, in the popular belief of the term, yeah, they were, they were, of course. But you're totally dependent on every single player, and that's how you build a spirit, I believe.
0: Yeah, and on that, Brian, like sustaining that spirit and culture around the Kilkenny team, we've often heard the words that you've echoed spirit, determination, hard work. Mm-hmm. How do you? keep those ingredients as the core to your squad when you have like a new bunch coming through like the likes of Bill Sheen, Richie Lahey, Hugh Lawler coming in now that you could see it on, on there was evidence on Saturday, on Sunday in Sydney that they've already bought into that like when there's not that they haven't had that three or four years experience like we'll say when Jackie came on first he had three or four years in the panel and then he eventually worked his way on to the starting 15 then he was a core component whereas now some of the boys are coming in and they're just they're on it a bit more quick quickly. Have,
1: yeah, I think from day one, you know, when I came in first, you know, um, Henry came in the same year, if you like, but he came into a dressing room where DJ Carey was, Willie O'Connor was, James McGarry, all these lads, and they saw, and I mean, made it very, very clear from day one the kind of things that we were going to be insisting upon, like, you know, a whole point of view of spirit and determination and work, right? because they're core values for any, any group, whether it's business, sport, whatever it is. And to me, they were, they were the essentialists. And and we stress that very, 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 very definitely. And we built that very quickly. The lads bought into it and got with it. And then according as new players come in to see what's in the dressing room, they learn very, very quickly from the established players and they see oh, them guys are working seriously hard. So that's obviously the way it has done. So it's never a question of, I haven't to say, uh, look at lads, whatever. Just watch these guys the way they train, carry on. And you know, it's not sick, it's not natural or second nature for everybody to be like that. And those who do need a bit of um you know, a bit of understanding or a bit of educating about the thing, that's that's part and parcel of what we have to do. But the ones who the ones who really, the ones who stay there and go on and develop are the ones who buy into that kind of a culture very quickly.
0: And obviously, similar in that period, in that 20 years, just has been, not just retirements, but people who have left, I suppose, of their own accord, during maybe, still maybe had a couple of more years to offer and had been hurling well. Has that been a difficult thing to manage, as I suppose, as an amateur sport, managing that type of... exit we're just here in soccer a player gets sold or moves on or whatever that's fine but when you have a group of players who are so tiny and so they're of their own accord and they leave has that ever had an impact on you or the squad where it had to be managed over over that period no
1: never never i mean over the years some players have retired and kind of a natural situation where okay i look at i know i'm i know i'm at the end of it other players um retired me would be kind of thinking oh, just probably more in, in this fella you know or some players maybe were moved on if you like call it what you will and anytime I would ever talk to a player maybe he'd ring me up and say this I want to meet up and say I'm going, to, I'm going to I think I'll leave it so I would say look you decide it's totally your decision I would never ever try and persuade a fella to stay on but I think to be involved, you have to really, really want to be involved. You have to give absolutely no doubt in your head whatsoever about it at all. You have to say, I can't wait to play, I can't wait for training. That's the basic of what you have to, your, your sense of feeling about it has to be. And if there's a kind of a wonder, should I or shouldn't, I, I'd i be inclined to say, look good, if you think you should, you should leave it, so then do that. Fair juice of what you've done and everything else. And lastly, I am, and I mean, I have no problem with that. And the players know that. I would always feel, do you ones I really feel sorry for it, to be honest? I, I, people talk nowadays it's in Centre County about being a huge sacrifice and a tough stuff and I don't see it like that I think they're, they're privileged and the only players I ever feel sorry for I really feel sorry for are the ones who suffer injury and their mm. careers are just kind of stymied and no matter how hard they try you know it's difficult that's the difficult thing about And we would try and support those as much as we possibly could other than that carrying the whole of his health it's not tough going they're yeah. queuing up to games into the dressing room in every county you know yeah, yeah.
0: And obviously we're seeing this year, Brian, um, Liam Sheedy come back into the fold with with, with Tipperary. Um, Stepped away in 2010 as an All-Ireland winning manager, which is an unusual time to step away after after winning All-Ireland and and breaking the duck on 10 years nearly for Tipperary winning it. Did it surprise you to see, knowing that the commitment that required and knowing that Liam is still in a full-time job, and a high-performing job, to come back in as an inter-county manager with the demands that are now associated, as, as you well know, that he's back in the fold again with Tipperary.
1: I suppose because there had been no mention of him, I think I, he came, he said in the Sunday game in a, early enough in the situation that but well, he won't be the involved anyway. And very very late in the, the day, it seemed to announced that Liam was coming back, and, and that's that's the finest fair juice to him, you know. And um, he, he's in no doubts about what he's doing; he knows exactly what's what's involved. And I'm sure he's going to be really 100% burst and to make sure it's a winning one, you know.
0: And looking at it from this year, then obviously you talk about whether it's the Premiership or the Rugby World Cup, there's two or three contenders. Looking ahead to next year, parking the club issues aside, there realistically probably is five or six teams who could win the All-Ireland Championship. I think that's, for me, is what I'm so excited about for the hurling year. That it could be anyone. Hopefully it's Kenny, obviously has a Kenny man. But it is wide open and we've seen it this year. Like, we, There's no way you would have predicted what happened last year. There's no way you would have predicted that Waterford wouldn't have won a game and would have been bottom of the group and nearly up for relegation. Like, there is a term like I think Waterford will be better next year Tipperary will be better next year you're looking at six teams does, does, that, ex- that, does, that, exc- does that excite you though compared to before when there was maybe two or three but no, no. You now we could have to we could have to be anyone here anyone on our day we have to be that's,
1: I, that's reality I mean take your own Robin in, in um, Leinster you know every day you go out you're going to find you're going to find a very very difficult card over there this year they'll be looked upon as a team with the least chance Obviously, coming, coming through this year for the first time. Great to see them. There's a terrific work going on down there. You take Dublin, they have a new manager again there. And Pat Gilroy done such a brilliant job last year, and business has forced him out of it. Matthew Kenny there, who knows the Dublin scene well, with cooler. two other club finals behind him. Look at it, it's going to be huge. Galway, um, Wexford. It's, 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 it's going to be just ding dong battle the whole way through. Munster, take our pick, you know. Six or seven teams definitely mm. challenge as well, and I think that's what most people thrive on as a challenge that's there for them. But the whole, same sense as what happened, you were saying about Tipperary and Walford this year, nobody saw it coming. Who, the, who what teams will be in that situation next year? It could be any of us. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. You, you
0: yeah. Midway through, even come up to the last game, there was opportunities for those teams to still yeah. qualify. Yeah. yeah, You know, I think that was the, the excitement of ah, it too. No you doubt know.
1: about it. No doubt about it. It's yeah. going to be it's going to be hectic mm. for sure. Yeah, definitely yeah. is. Yeah.
0: And Brian, obviously, going back to like into I suppose the early two thousands, Cork was a team that had the number on Kilkenny for two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and eventually over or came two thousand six. Tipperary, to probably lesser extent, in the, in the late two thousand ten area, and then maybe Galway. The last couple of years have had a number over Kilkenny. Does do you think your approach in terms of how setting Kilkenny up has to change addressing the Galway challenge or the Limerick challenge, or is it more focusing on yourselves in terms of? Getting in house right, getting the mentality right, like about getting the spirit right. Are you? Do you still now have to make plans for those individual teams?
1: I know uh, I, I, I don't. I don't even have remotest plans for any other individual team in the slightest apart from our own. I think we're a developing team. You know, I think we made some progress last year. We have huge more. We have enough lot of, of progress to make to ensure that we're going to be there. One of the really competitive teams there because we have a lot of players still with not an awful lot of experience behind him we've got some good stuff this year no doubt about that but you couldn't say we have a guaranteed settled team you couldn't say that we have a, um, a huge amount of experience in the squad a couple of injuries could be really crucial for us as well and you know it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be a challenge for us but I think that's what um, that's what it's all about really I look forward to that challenge very very much and in case you might think I'm sounding bit anyway kind of pessimistic about it I would also have huge um huge belief in the players we have you know most definitely huge belief in us and I think that um, it's our responsibility in management to ensure that we get there and we we ensure that we're absolutely hugely competitive
0: and going into your 21st year obviously it's a massive milestone but speaking there you're speaking to Ty Nelly up in Sydney and speaking about what goes through the AFL have I suppose anything that you've learned from other codes whether it be professional or non-professional whether it's your interactions with the likes of Ty Kinelli or I'm sure in different circles that you mix with that you've taken an, oh, I don't know, I've don't. seen how that manager operates or that coach operates and taken something from it and maybe brought that learning and applied to Kilkenny in a Kilkenny in a, in a way but something that you've, you've seen that you thought could help
1: I know I mean I think it would be I mean, you, you, the reality is you, you constantly pick up kind of stuff that not even you, you regularly pick it up but it's kind of you store it in the subconscious almost you know you store it away without even realising you are and then you might suddenly hear the situation and say you click with it and say oh yeah I remember what such a fella might have said and I suppose really what I kind of I suppose is something I would always believe myself as well to hear a fella involved in, in coaching and professional like Tiger, thinking about we should never ever ever underestimate the importance of the player's instinct and what, the ability to have themselves to think their way through a game I would be always wary of um, turning them into kind of stereotypes who must do this must do that prepare them well a very, very. It's, it's important to remember, it's a team game. If you could have absolutely every player on the field playing for the team, playing for the team all the time, giving one hundred percent, with a huge spirit in the team, and you know, doing all that all the time and doing it well. You won't go too
0: far on. Mm. Brian, one last question. You've been very good with your time. Um, in Melbourne here, there's been a number of individuals who have set up a, a, a kind of a kids coaching um, for underage. We have Michael Comfort who's actually from Castle Comer. I think he met him up on Saturday mm. and a number of other people involved like Sir Walsh. What advice would you give to underage coaches starting off with players literally as young as four or five that we have here in Melbourne? Australian-born children, maybe Irish parents and in some instances not Irish-born parents mm. They're just Australians coming down what do you think you need to instill obviously you've had from your primary school days well, instilling in a kid as young as 5 or 6 coming out for their first hurling training session what do you think are the core things that you would like them leaving with if they're coming we down say, for a few Sundays a year
1: I, I think it's something we all all forget and we always do forget you know I'm often asked about what keeps you how do you keep the hunger or what keeps the great players hungry to keep going every time and it's very very simple really at the end of the day it's number one and we always we never say it but the most important thing by fire is to realise that these fellas love playing the game. The game is just something they love doing. They love pucking around. If they're not just they on have a match, if they're not training, what do you do if you're not training? on a day, maybe you sit around and say, "If oh, you yeah, pick up the hurl and the ball, like you probably do yourself, and go and start hitting against the wall, just kind of an addictive thing about hurling and getting the touch right, all that kind of stuff." And hurling is a difficult game to kind of. It's an impossible way to master it. You know, I mean to master it every that you go to every single day and just absolutely make the ball talk. So difficult game to get good at as well, and the importance of starting off the kids when they're young. And getting them to enjoy it and to really enjoy it and then look forward to it. And let them develop at their own level as well. Because it's only when they get to actually be able to get that ball against the wall and, and, and control the coming back and hit it again and not be thrown up and missing it and missing it. They'll throw away the Hurley very, very quickly then and say, oh look how you're able to manage this game. Give them the opportunity to develop, to get the hang of it and then to go on, and then just, they'll they'll love it. Mm -hmm. And it's just absolutely that kind of a game. And, you know, I always think about the top players and what keeps them going, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. They're doing something they love. And I often think, I said, like Tommy Welsh, he would walk to training, you know, seven nights of the week just to play Hurling. Mm -hmm. And, we should never forget those things, I think. Mm -hmm. Let them enjoy it, let them develop at their own level, let them enjoy being with their friends and everything else, and, give them the time to just you know, and the team is very very often forgotten as well I mean I think of players over the years Players, what's given me the most pleasure probably in the game is seeing players who were maybe written off as inter-county players you know didn't stand out with, whenever they started development squads weren't stars at minor level weren't stars at third level or third level college or secondary school weren't stars at U21 level but to go on then, with a bit of encouragement, a bit of confidence and everything else, a bit of support from parents and from coaches, to go on to become the players that it, they always dreamed of becoming. And you should never, ever, ever kind of rule out the fact that players will develop at their own pace, at their own time. you see, see player, other players then maybe who can make the ball talk when they're 13 or 14. But because they don't continue to look after them to look after themselves and continue to... Br- because you can lose... The- <laughs> i heard Joel Cunningham saying there a a bit of a um, an interview there during the week you know you know if, if and everybody knows how, how actually brilliant he is you know mm. how skillful he is but he said if I'm, if I'm training like you know and if I leave the hurl aside for a week or two and I come back I, I find the difficulty I loo- I, I, my touch is gone so you see the importance of just the star players thinking I can try, I can pick up the hurl when I feel like it you can't
0: mm. it's
1: a game that demands just constant skill mm. work you mm. know and that's the brilliant thing about yeah, it yeah
0: brilliant Thanks very much, Brian. Cheers, Ian, no Appreciate weather. all your time and enjoy the rest of your time in Australia and yeah. safe trip back to Ireland.
1: Great to be here and good to be talking to DK Man. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Travelling in a fight at Cumby, on a hippie trail full of zombies. I met a strange lady, she made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast she said, do you come from a land down under? a men go and men go Can't you hear, can't you
0: hear the thunder? You better run, you better take cover. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Brian Cody. I think it was a fascinating insight into how he perceives the state of hurting at the moment, where it's going, where it's been. And also just the GAA in general, and I suppose the future of the GAA um, in its current form—will it be sustainable, or are we are we heading towards that different year for the for the GAA? So thanks very much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you in association with O'Neill's International Sports, where the choice of champions. Please visit oneills.com for all the latest offers. Myself, Shawnee and Giggins will be back next week with another episode, so stay tuned. Take care, and goodbye.